0: Worship team, kids, you are now dismissed, and as you take your seat, say hello to the person next to you. Well, my friends, it is always good. To worship in the house of the Lord. Amen. 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 Well, we are going to continue back into our, our First Corinthians of culture, church, and Christ. And I'm looking forward to this message, and it, it leads us into, even though next week is not yet October, but it leads us into missions month for the month of October, where we will have some missionaries come and share what God is doing. Uh, in where they're 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 ministering and where they find themselves in the, on, on the mission field. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the ability we have to gather in your name. I pray that as we open up the scriptures this morning that it will be for the sake of transformation, not just for the sake of information. May we take what you say to us this morning and apply it to our lives. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, the Christian and Missionary Alliance is the denomination with which we find ourselves in here as Indiana Alliance Church. And I like to often say that missionary is our middle name. It is part of who we are and part of what we do. And we have a long history of missions work in our denomination that goes back several years where we have gone into many different missions fields and have contextualized ourselves to those specific places, dressing and speaking the way that they dress and speak in order to bring the gospel in a way that they understand. I wanna share with you really quickly, I don't really often read news from the pulpit, but this was a Time Magazine article that was written in 1968. And it gives you a, a picture, a window into some of the sacrifices some of our missionaries have made in the past. In 1968, this is where we find this Time Times Magazine article. It says this, the worst tragedy involving the missions took place early in the offensive when six American Protestants with a Christian and Missionary Alliance were killed at a compound near Bon Metat in the Central Highlands, where the CMA ran a school and a leprosarium. According to survivors' accounts, the attack began before dawn when North Vietnamese Vietnamese sappers blew up a home in the center of the compound. The two occupants, Leon Griswold, 66, a retired insurance salesman from White Plains, New York, who had turned missionary, and his and his daughter Carolyn, 41, a youth worker, were fatally injured, death in a bunker. Five other missionaries huddled in an adjacent house for two days as fighting raged, then took refuge in a hastily dug trench. Finally, the Reverend Robert Zimmer, 49, a minister from Toledo, Ohio, left the trench to plead with surrendering, commu- with surrendering to communist troops to hold their fire. They shot him in the head and chest. Next to die was a nurse, Ruth Wilting, 42 of Cleveland, who had gone to the clinic 200 yards away for medicines. The communists opened fire as she returned, and she fell in the bunker, mortally wounded. And I know that's a very heavy start to our service, but the importance of understanding the history of what we have done as a mov- missionary movement should inspire and encourage our heart to see the passion that we've had for missions work. What's even uh, maybe not more incredible, what, what, what is equally incredible, is that there were young missionaries who heard of this story and still chose to go to Vietnam, to the same place that their predecessors had passed away They felt compelled by the Lord to go and bring the message of Jesus, the gospel of Christ, to the same Vietnamese people who had just killed CMA missionaries. There was a passion for the gospel, a desire to contextualize the gospel in the Vietnamese language, to be among them, to teach them the truth of the gospel, even unto death. I think it's important that we, as we look at this passage that Paul is going to share with the church in Corinth, his passion for missions as well, his desire to move the gospel forward. They say that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church and the blood of those martyrs in Vietnam Vietnam did become the seed of a church in Vietnam. God did a wonderful work and is still doing a wonderful work in the country of Vietnam, in Vietnam. These missionaries believed in the gospel and they also knew that winning souls is more important than personal comfort. Winning souls is more important than personal comfort. Those who were murdered and those who went after the murder recognized the importance and the vitality of winning souls to the point of their own discomfort. That's an important beginning point for us as we look at this passage from Paul. And we talked about this issue of contextualization, getting out of their comfort zone, spending two years of learning a different language, understanding the culture, entering the culture, and being the light in a dark place. As we see this passage, we will see our need to contextualize the gospel in our current era, in our current time not just across the ocean, but in our own homes. I think often, though, we don't recognize that we are in a space where we need to contextualize the gospel. I think that sometimes we're, we're not willing to get out of our comfort zone to go to the people that are in our community who need to hear the gospel. But Paul shares his own passion, his own heart, <clears throat> and his own desire to go and preach and live the gospel message, of which you and I are also called. So how then do we preach the gospel in a contextual way? How do we preach the gospel contextually? I believe that we can see that from this passage that Paul writes to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23. You can read it on the screen or open up your Bible or your app or however you choose to read the scriptures. First Corinthians nine nineteen through 23. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being the, uh, myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. I think that in this passage, Paul gives us five ways in which we can live contextually on mission for Jesus. How we can be among and proclaim the gospel among multiple different types of people. And the first way he gives us is the way of servanthood. Choose servanthood for the sake of lost souls. Choose servanthood for the sake of lost souls. He said, I became a servant. That Greek word is doulos, and it can also be translated as a slave. He was a slave to the gospel. His life was dedicated to the gospel of Christ, pushing the mission of Jesus forward. Previously in this passage, Paul was talking to the Corinthian church and he said, I don't take any money from you in the Corinthian church for my mission. Although we do receive funds from other churches, we don't receive money from you because we know that those who are wealthy, who give to the mission, would seek to manipulate what we do as ministers of the gospel. And that's why he says, though I am free from all, he's saying I'm free from all the the entanglements of men, free from all all the, the entanglements of the law as we are now in the law of Christ, no longer under the Old Testament law. But he says, I do this that I may win more of them. With this freedom that Christ has given Paul, he chose servanthood. He chose to live free. He, in his servanthood, he was free to live out the gospel. And he did it for the sake of souls who were lost that needed to come to faith. Paul understood that the gospel reality of people who are going to be perishing forever needed to be his drive to see people come to faith in Jesus so that they could come to heaven and be with Jesus forever. If we really believe what the gospel says about sin, what the gospel says about Christ's salvation, we would have the same type of passion. If we would rest in that idea, remembering that we ourselves are saved from the fire, we would want to save others from the same fire. And here he says, I choose servanthood. I choose to serve with my entire life those who are far from God. Taylor says this, a commentator, To this end, Paul enslaved himself to all. And in this way, he imitated Christ, who came to serve and to give his life for others. Just as God's folly, the cross, is the power of God unto salvation, so also is Paul's enslavement to different classes of men, the best possible means for gaining others for Christ. Servanthood for the purpose of winning souls reflects Christ. Christ came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve, not seeking men's pleasure, but seeking their salvation. Christ's mission was to come and die and resurrect to prove that he is God, that all he said was true, and his goal in coming was to restore us to a right relationship with God through his blood. We remember this truth every month as we come to the Lord's table and we remember the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. We remember how he served his disciples, served those who were lost. His whole life was dedicated to service, empowered by his mission. We are to reflect Christ. Paul reflected Christ in servanthood. He chose to put others above himself. Even though he could have taken money from the church in Corinth for his mission, he chose not to because he did not want to be enslaved by their whims. He chose to be enslaved to God's mission, to be a servant, to go and spread the gospel. This was a reflection of Jesus, and it's how we are to live as well. To live as servants. But we live in in a culture that says serve yourself. Do things for yourself. Make sure that you're okay and and financially set before you do anything else in the world. Make sure that your status and your job is set up before you can do anything else in the world. But Paul said, "I, I am nothing, I have nothing, but I will continue to go out for the sake of the gospel as a servant because those lost souls are more important than my comfort. These missionaries to Vietnam had the same heart and same attitude. This is the way we are to live. As the Mandalorian would say, this is the way. As we look at how we are to live, how we are to be on mission, this is the way. Another commentator said slavery to Christ necessitates slavery to all when we put ourselves under the kingship and the lordship of Jesus, we should be servants to the world. I know this is countercultural. I know this is difficult. I know that in my own life, I want to live for myself and do what I want to do. But servanthood is being at the whim of the master. We are at the whim of Jesus Christ, not men. And he calls us to serve. Jesus, my favorite example of his servant heart, is when he washed the disciples' feet, where he did the most nasty of jobs. This was the lowest of low servant job. As these men were walking, that was their main mode of transportation was walking, and they didn't have closed toe shoes like you and I have. They did not have the, the nicety of socks. They wore bare feet as they were walking in dusty, dirty, sandy places. So this job was really nasty. It was disgusting. But Jesus put himself low to wash the feet of his disciples. We are called in order to bring people to Christ to wash the feet of those in the world. This is the love your enemy, love your neighbor. These are areas of sacrifice and servanthood where we put others above ourselves. But this is uncomfortable And that's why the second way of contextualizing the message of Jesus is sacrifice. To win souls, often we must sacrifice self. It's an interesting passage as we see in verse 20 where he says, To the Jews I became as a Jew. In order to win Jews, to those under the law I became as one under the law. Though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Well, if if Paul is free and he lives free from the law, but is under the law of Christ, what could this possibly mean? How is he going to the Jews and being as one under the law? How is he a Jew among Jews when he's now a Christian? Things are different in his life. There are a couple of thoughts on this. And one of them is that while he was among the Jews, he wore the proper clothing. He said the proper things, had the proper attitude, chose to live among them as them in order to not offend or get pushed away or pushed out. But as I was researching this and studying this passage, something else popped up in almost all the theologians who commented on this passage. They talked about how he, in order to be into the synagogues, he had to be right with the law. And there are several times where he was not right with the law. As he was proclaiming Christ in the synagogues, he was kicked out, he was beaten, and he was shoved away from the synagogue. We see this happens five times in his life. But here's the kicker. In order to go back to the synagogue, he had to submit to the discipline of the Jews. And the discipline of the Jews was 39 lashes, similar to what Christ had experienced once before he was crucified. And in order to submit to that discipline, there was a deal that says any Jew who would submit to this discipline after they were kicked out of the synagogue could then be welcomed back into the synagogue. And so he submitted to beatings by the Jewish law, becoming a Jew in order to proclaim the truth of the gospel in the synagogue again. One commentator says this, he bowed to the synagogue discipline to maintain his Jewish connections. Jews were given special privileges to settle their disputes in their own courts. If one wanted to stay a member of the Jewish community, one had to submit to its discipline. Paul accepted these penalties to keep open the option of preaching the gospel message in the synagogue. For Paul to submit to this punishment five times testifies not only to his mettle, but also to his extraordinary sense of obligation to his own people. He considered himself so low that he would sacrifice himself in this way. He would sacrifice his comfort. He would sacrifice his body. He would sacrifice his possible future because 39 lashes just might kill you. This was not an easy task. This was not a fun task. But in order to contextualize the message to the Jews and to become like a Jew, or as a Jew, he had to submit to these beatings in order to be reconnected to his Jewish brothers. To me, that is an amazing, incredible, wild, mind-blowing dedication to the gospel message in order to bring them to the Jews, in order to bring it to the Jews in the synagogue. Would we do that If we knew that we could re-enter into a community who needs to hear the gospel message, who we're passionate about, would we submit to the lashes of discipline or the lashes of their anger and frustration in order to come back and say the same thing again, knowing that even though he just got back into favor with the Jews and he proclaims the gospel message again in the synagogues, knowing that he's going to be beaten again for proclaiming the gospel, he didn't care. He did not care about his own welfare. He did not care about his own life because he said, Christ sacrificed himself for me. I will sacrifice myself for Christ so that people can come to know Jesus. Man, when I read that and I unpacked that, that that just had me pause for a moment and do a little bit of self-reflection. What am I willing to sacrifice for the gospel? In our current culture, we live in a generation where evangelism is no longer important at all. If you were to look at the surveys of older millennials and uh, older, younger millennials and older generation Z, when interviewed about the importance of evangelism, it is dead last on their list. Steadlast. last. We live in the greatest generation of de-churched, unchurched, and unchristian right now. The greatest number that we've ever seen in our American society in history. We also live in the most biblically illiterate generation we have ever seen in American history as well. And the reason why evangelism is so low is because it feels awkward, it feels weird. I I don't want to be looked down upon or made fun of or teased or, or looked at as weird and no longer be able to be their friend because I brought up the gospel. But Paul was willing to be beaten five times for the gospel. Who cares if you offend someone once in a while? Isn't that a sacrifice worth laying down? Isn't that something that we should easily be able to just put down on the altar for the Lord and say, yeah, you know what? Paul was so passionate about the gospel, I, I can sacrifice this one tiny little thing. But we don't. We're, we're unwilling. Sacrifice is a key aspect of evangelism. What are we willing to give up in order to put the gospel forward? If we really, again, if we really believe the truth of the gospel and the destination of those who don't know Jesus, we would want to push forward as well. Because the salvation with which we have been given, we would want to share with passionate desire, bringing the beautiful bread of life to those who are dying. This was Paul's passion. This was Paul's desire. And also if we really believe our theology of the end times, where we as the believers of of Christ have an opportunity to join Christ in bringing about the kingdom of God for Christ to come and return faster because we can go out and evangelize. We have that opportunity to join him in that mission. If we really believed our theology, we would be moved to share the gospel. I'm not saying this to shame us. I'm saying this to wake us up to the reality that we live in. That we can help hasten the day, as the old timers used to say. Hasten the day of Jesus Christ. We have the opportunity to be used to bring the bread of life to those who are dying. Paul understood this and encouraged the church in Corinth. They were all worried about all kinds of stupid, weird things. And he's like, listen, if you want to break down the core of who we are, of what our mission is, of what we're called to do, it is to save lost souls. One of the things that really blessed me is Hillary and I were coming to this church and we checked out the sanctuary as we were being interviewed. If you look back on the back above the middle door, it says you are now entering your mission field. To me, that was encouraging, saying that we are encouraging our church to proclaim the gospel. In fact, that is part of our mission, where we are desiring, where we are seeking to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. It's who we are called to be. It is right there on your bulletin every Sunday that we are to proclaim the gospel. That is who we are as not just believers, but as a church. This is what we're called to be. We don't do our our due diligence of proclaiming the gospel because of our comfort level. It breaks down to our comfort. And comfort cannot be king, be the king of our lives. Only Christ can be king. Comfort cannot be our king. But we live in a society that wants to say comfort is king. Be comfortable. Be happy. Live the life of the American dream. But the gospel is countercultural. It says, give up your comfort. Let go, sacrifice the comfort that you are pursuing. Because Christ is the one who is to be king of our hearts and of our lives, not our comfort. But we'll see when we allow ourselves to be uncomfortable that God will encourage and bless us as we go forward, not necessarily financially, but joyfully, where we will go and joyfully proclaim the gospel of Jesus. The joy of the Lord will be our strength when we get out of our comfort zone and go forward to proclaim and live out the gospel in the culture with which we live. I often say that we have a, a, a pandemic of holy huddles in the church because we like to gather together and we like to huddle together all of the time, but we don't go out of that holy huddle. We don't play the game. If if in football, all of the players just stayed in a huddle, that would be silly. You'd be like, well, this isn't a football game. What's happening? They're just standing there and they just keep getting all these penalties because they're wasting time. Man, That's what I think the church does too often. We're on the field because we live here, we are alive, we have breath in our lungs, but we're just huddling together in the middle of the field and penalties just keep coming because we're not playing the game. We cannot live in that space any longer. We live in a dying culture. We live in a dying world where we are to go out across the sea on mission, but we're also called to do mission here and now. We must see this. The next thing that we can see that Paul is giving us the next way in which we can live contextually in this world, as we saw their servanthood, their sacrifice, and the third way is methodology. Point number six, the message of the gospel never changes, only the methods We employ only the methods we employ. You see, when he was becoming a Jew as the Jews were, sacrificing himself, he was contextualizing himself back into Jewish culture. He was being a Jew, wearing the right clothes, speaking the right language, drawing upon Old Testament theology to point out who Jesus really is. He was speaking their language. And so when he says, I'm among the Gentiles, those who are not under the law, What does that mean? Does he become a pagan and he sacrifices to idols and does all this weird stuff? No, that's not what he does. But he lives among them. He speaks their language. He understands their culture. He has conversations about their own philosophers. At Mars Hill, we see that Paul was utilizing their own philosophy, their own cultural understanding, their own idolatry against them to speak about the truth of the gospel. The message for him never changed. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. Jesus died. Jesus rose. The message never changed, but his methodology did in order to speak the language of the people he was among. We, we send out missionaries from the Christian Missionary Alliance all the time. And as I had said before, they need to learn the language. English is not the universal language. Not everybody speaks English. We might forget that. But in these different cultures, in these different countries, they take two years to learn a new language. They take two years to learn the culture, to understand what is the proper dress, what is offensive in this culture, what is accepted in this culture. How do people understand me as a white American or an American with a different ethnic background? How do they understand me? How can I get the message forward? And so the methodology of how they would witness in America is not the same as how they would witness in Vietnam. The message doesn't change, but the methodology does change. My friends, we live in a culture that is not like the church culture anymore. We no longer live in the 1950s where people understood sin and death, heaven and hell. Because we live in a biblically illiterate culture, they don't have a grasp or a concept of what that means. And so in order to give the message of sin, of death, of heaven and hell, we have to learn the cultural words. We have to be able to speak how they'll understand what we're trying to say. Now this doesn't mean when you're hanging out with someone in Generation Z that you say, Jesus loves you, bruh, no cap. Some of you Gen Z, that made you, hopefully that made you laugh. Anyways, they talk weird. We, in our generation, talked weird. You know, the boomers and, and the builders, they talked weird compared to what we talk now. So we have to learn the language, understand the culture, and speak the truth of the gospel within that. We change our methodology, but we never change the message Sadly, too often, many people who change the methodology with which they speak the gospel also tweak the message to make it a little bit happier, to make it a little bit nicer. That's not what I'm saying to do. The message remains. The methodology changes. One commentator said, There is no evidence in Paul's explanation that he did anything other than act in such a way as to better serve others by honoring their preferences and their practices? Are we honoring the preferences and the practices in order to have a window, a door into our community to speak the truth of the gospel? This can be uncomfortable, learning a culture that is around us, understanding that we don't live in the same culture that we grew up in, and we can bemoan that, and we can be sad about that, yes. But we also then must say, we have to learn the culture in order to speak the truth of the gospel. That's why this, this whole series is called Church Culture Christ. Because in order to, to speak the gospel message, we must change our methodology. Because we don't live in the same world that we once lived in. Now, when Paul was acting like a Gentile, it did frustrate the Jews. It frustrated them to no end, but then he comes in and he says, listen, the reason I'm doing this is not to break the law, not to break Torah, but because I'm under the law of Christ, I am compelled to go forward and speak to every person I can. Many of you might know that Paul was also a Roman citizen. He chose Roman citizenry even as a Jew, that eventually gave him the ability to appeal to a higher court than he was in before he died. He was able to go before the most important proconsul of Rome because of his Roman citizenry. He was given access to a person he would never have given, been given access to before. And even as he was in prison, ready to die, ready to be sentenced to death, he was proclaiming the gospel to this most important pro And he did it because he contextualized himself into the culture in order to have an audience with someone he would never have an audience with before. You must pray and seek and discern how can you do that in our current culture now. We must see that when we walk out these doors, it is our mission field. We must look at the Christian and Missionary Alliance missiology and how they work their missiology, how they live missions in other places, and we must model them in our time, in our place, in our community. My hope is that every time you were to walk out of this place and see that that message, you are now entering your mission field, that you would take that seriously and say, yes, we live on a mission field. We might not be in Vietnam but Indiana is a missions field. Indiana County, Blairsville, wherever you find yourself, that is a missions field. Wherever you find yourself as a student, as a child, as an adult, wherever you work, those places are places of mission for you. You were placed there, given an opportunity to live and proclaim the gospel. Chester, Timmis, Chester and Timmis, authors on missiology, say this, We need to operate as missionaries in a foreign land. We cannot talk about guilt, faith, religion, or even God and assume that people understand what we're talking about. And Chester and Timis were talking about American culture. I want to highlight for point seven the beginning of that. We need to operate as missionaries in a foreign land. My friends, it is time for us to operate as missionaries in a foreign land. Because we live in the most de-churched, unchurched, un-Christian culture America has ever seen, the Come and See program no longer works. Where we say, hey, come to church and you'll see. No, we're called to be out there as the light. And as they come to Christ, bring them To church as they're seeking as they're pondering who Jesus is we tell them and we explain to them we talk about our church we talk about what Christ is doing and it will create a well I want to check that out I want to see that but it's not the pastor or the elder's job to save the souls of those out there we are called to save souls absolutely but you are also part of the priesthood of Christ it is your job as well you can't just say, hey, I'm going to talk to someone about Jesus and, and then call my pastor and have them talk about all this stuff. No, you are to tell them. Open up the Bible. Live the gospel life. We must see that we are in a missionary uh, missionary moment. We must study the culture and not shy away. The fourth way that we can contextualize, the, uh, contextualize evangelism is by walking alongside. Point number eight, walking alongside the weak in their weakness is a powerful witness. Walking alongside the weak in their weakness is a powerful witness. We talked last week about how Paul shared that he would not eat food sacrificed to idols in front of his weak brothers and weak sisters. Because they were, they were moving away from that past life. And they would be encouraged in their hearts to move back into sin if they saw their brothers and sisters eating the food sacrificed to idols. He, they begged those who were in the church doing that in a public, loud forum. They begged them, please stop doing this. And Paul said, we must stop. We must be weak with the weak. We must encourage them and love them where they are. So it's possible that when he says that I became weak with the weak, that he's talking about that particular idea. But I think it also has a secondary meaning. Because as we look at Paul's life, Paul purposely spent time with the down and out. Paul purposely spent time with the poor, the lonely. He purposely spent time with those who were ostracized from community. He became weak, those who were weak in society he walked alongside them. He did not think of himself better than. He did not think of himself, well, I'm a Jew, and I can't hang out with these weird Gentiles who do weird things. He said, no, I'm, I'm going to walk alongside. Whether they are poor, whether they are lonely, whether they are ostracized, whether they have leprosy, whether they have whatever it is, I'm going to walk alongside them. We too are called to walk alongside the weak. In our communities. We too are called to be and rest with people in their pain and in their weakness, to live out the truth of the gospel, not ignoring them but being among them, being a blessing to this world as servants who are sacrificing ourselves to live and proclaim the gospel of Jesus. He had no fear of living among, he had no fear of walking alongside those who were ostracized, He considered himself nothing but lost souls coming to faith, everything. He emptied himself. We sang that song of I'm empty. All I have is a hallelujah. I have nothing else fit for a king. And that's true. And part of our hallelujah is living out the gospel. It's not just coming to an emotionally charged moment of singing. It is living every aspect of our life on mission for Jesus Christ. We must be willing to associate with anyone to win them to Christ. The fifth and final way that I, I see that Paul gives us in this passage on how to contextualize the gospel is to live for the sake of the gospel and not for yourself. This is part of the sacrificing, this is part of sacrificing ourselves, but where is our focus? When we look at our lives and we take an honest assessment, how have we been living our life? Have we been living our life for ourselves or have we been living our life for the sake of the gospel? Paul says, I was living my life for the sake of the gospel. I will live my life for the sake of the gospel. He died for the sake of the gospel. He was beaten for the sake of the gospel. Will we focus on ourselves, or will we focus our lives for the sake of the gospel? We are to live for the sake of the gospel and not ourselves. He was a man on the mission to proclaim the goodness of Christ. A commentator says this, to stand alongside the Jew, the Gentile, the socially dependent and vulnerable, or to live and act in solidarity with every kind of person in every kind of situation. It is to have a share in the nature of the gospel, to live out what the gospel is and how it operates. This is our call. This is our missionary work that we as believers are called to. My hope is that as you've been listening, you've been encouraged to proclaim the gospel in your own life. We're not called to be super annoying with people and yell at people. We're called to walk alongside them, speak in a way that they can hear, live in a way that they can understand. 1 Peter 3.15 says that when Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives, we will have an opportunity to give a defense for the faith because people will be asking us questions. They will ask us questions because of the way we live, because of the way we walk alongside. They will wonder, why do you do this? And we can answer for the sake of the gospel, not for the sake of myself. Let me tell you about the goodness of Jesus Christ. That is how we are to live our lives. So may we resolve to be people who put others above self, the gospel message above comfort, and the desire for lost souls above our preferences. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the love that you lavish upon us. Every time I open in prayer, that is how I pray because I'm always flabbergasted at the love that you provide. And the love that you have given me, the salvation that you have given me, the life that you have given me, the forgiveness that you have given me, may that be the fuel of the mission of my life. May that be the fuel of the mission of our lives. May we proclaim the gospel with our lives and with our mouths. Amen.